Five. I was thinking this morning, actually off and on all week, whenever you observe the things that are going on in the world, for example, in the political realm, the social realm, in the financial areas, with science, with the radical elements that you see all over the place in, in the world, in this country, so forth. And then you, you see, you come, it comes down to us, where we are, where we live, uh, the things that we personally have to deal with, the difficulties and circumstances, whatever that may entail for us. And I believe that not only are the storm clouds being seen on the horizon. But I believe they are gathering on the horizon. And we as Christians are not immune to problems. We're not immune to difficulties. And that which is going on in many other countries related to Christians, the persecution and, and the like, you know, we have an advantage at this time as far as not being under persecution. Uh, we don't know if that will change. And all the different things, no matter what area you look at, like the things that they're doing with science is just crazy. You know, they're, they're um, not with just stem cells and that, but, but um, thinking of uh, cloning and the, the micro world, that they're, they're putting all these things, I actually should have brought an article in and read it to you. They're, they're doing things in science that are actually affecting everyone. We don't even know it. We will know it eventually. They're, they're putting these microscopic things in the clothing and in, in, in different products that are so small it, it, it goes past the blood-brain barrier in the body. It just, it just goes right into the body. They don't know what it's going to do long term. But every area you look into, something is going on. I mean, it's just like if you have eyes to see, you look at that and you know it's not of God. And you know eventually all these things are going to turn around and come back and bite man. And we as Christians are not going to be immune to that. If there is instability in this country, it affects other markets in the world, or the reverse, other markets, for example, China, it greatly affects this country in a way that never ever before has been seen on the earth. And so the storm clouds that you could see on the horizon, to me, are gathering. It's almost as though you go out on a lake, and I don't know if any of you have ever done this. You get your boat, you go out on the lake, and you're out there fishing, and you're really not paying attention to what's going on. And you feel a little breeze and a little wind, and you look up, and in the distance you see the black clouds. But you say, well, let's keep on fishing. It's okay because... You know, the clouds are out there. They really aren't affecting us right now. So you wait a little while. And then before you know it, boom, those clouds come in. Has anybody ever experienced that? I've been on a lake. I was on a lake, uh, on a, on a lake with a canoe. And I wasn't out very far. And I was fishing. I'm talking about years ago. And I saw... The storm in the distance, I saw the lightning. I said, well, it's pretty far away. I had plenty of time to get off that lake. Boy, I tell you, I learned my lesson that day. Because once the wind starts blowing and you row, you're not getting too far. 
we in this country have been sh sheltered and shielded from certain things. But I do not see that always being the case. Now, in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at something here, and we've all probably read this, and it relates to other passages in Peter and what have you, other places in the Bible. We read it, we hear it, but somehow, you know, sometimes we just don't grasp it and really believe it. One of the things in the church today, and, and, and this has been for years, I believe, and there are different things that the church really has need of, you know, the, the church worldwide. One of them is growth. There is a lack of growth in many Christians. And that lack, I believe, comes out from several things, but one of them is that Christians do not want to allow the Lord to work in their heart and their life. And they, they move in other areas, they move in other directions, and even when the Spirit of God comes and ministers or touches them, sometimes with some individuals, there is this inner rebellion that may not be apparent and open rebellion, but it's something on the inside that will cause them to somehow, in some way, that, that, uh, that works its way out in their life, to go another way. And because of, of the lack of allowing God to work, see, they, they think that that's not going to affect them. That's going to affect them as far as eternally the reward, but it's going to affect them in their life now, here, in many ways, in the spiritual realm, and, and even beyond that, mentally and physically, many times. And so there's this tremendous need, I see, in the church for Christians to grow up. And, you know, you talk to some Christians that, that you come in contact with at, at work or wherever, and it seems as though in many ways, they're flowing in this surface thing. And they have not, for some reason, be it teaching, be it their, where their heart is, I, I, I don't know, it's probably a number of things, but they haven't <coughs> progressed and moved into a deeper area. And, and the desire is not there because they think everything is, is fine. Go to church, you know, praise the Lord and... You know, hallelujah, God's working, and hey, that's great. But God wants to take a Christian into a deeper place. And so if you've been a Christian 15 or 20 years, you should have grown more. You should be further on than you were 20 years ago. And remember, growth is not determined by what we think or how we view it. Growth is determined by God, and the result of that is seen out from the person, and it can be seen by the seeing eye or the seeing heart as God transforms a person, you, into, to some degree, the character of Christ. See, see, certain things start moving, and you realize that you weren't where you used to be. You have gone into a deeper place. And you know that, even though you don't know, may not know how that occurred. But nonetheless, you know, it happens. And there are Christians that just seem to move along the same line as far as... Um, the lack of depth in their life, they seem to move along that for years and years and years. 
Now, in chapter 5, it starts off talking about the high priest, meaning Aaron, in verse 1. Uh, he's taken from among men, and he's a, he's, he is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. And then it moves down along um, verse 4 and 5. Then you see the writer bringing in uh, Jesus Christ as being the high priest. And he, he's compared to Melchizedek being after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're not going to talk about that today, but just want to bring you down to where we're going to start. Verse 6, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so he, he deals with this, this uh, thing here, bringing Jesus to the forefront again. And he, he shows them, and remember, he's, he's dealing with Hebrew Christians. They're very well aware of the law, the Levitical law. They know what the high priest is. They, they've seen him function. There may have been uh, some high priest there in amongst them. Some of them could have been Levites who, who were assisting the high priest. So, so they're very, very aware when he's talking about the high priest. They're, they're, they're seeing, hopefully, him starting to paint this picture. See, their understanding many times is, is much better than us because of the culture we're in and we were not exposed physically to see that whole thing operate. See? No, it's not to say that God can't reveal things to us, but, but they were very, very aware of what he was saying when he's talking about Jesus and comparing him to Melchizedek and him being a high priest. So that's the setting here for the verse we're going to start with. Verse 11. Let's go back to 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. Called of God and a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. So he brings this thing now into the picture. He's saying, okay, now this is what I want to show you related to Melchizedek, related to Christ. And I want to show you more, but I, I'm having difficulty because you are dull of hearing. Now, I, I had somewhere here the word dull. Well, we'll get to it in a few minutes, but <clears throat> let me read... Verses 11 through 14. Um, let's have somebody else read. Gene, read 11 through 14 from the King James. Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want to read that from another translation. There is much more that we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Our dullness of hearing, our lack, and when I say our, I don't necessarily mean you, I mean Christians in general, our not having this desire for Him and a desire to know Him more, hinders the Spirit of God from taking the things of Christ and showing them to us. So the things of Christ were shown to the writer, but now he says, I want to show you certain things, but because of where you are spiritually, because of the dullness of your hearing, because you don't have the desire that you should have, this is going to be very difficult for me to, to do this. You have been believers so long now 
that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how uh, to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 28, verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? That's the question. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Or the word means hearing. Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. So, so he's, he's saying here, even in Isaiah, that in order to hear and understand, not with your mind, but understand in your spirit, understand with your heart, certain things, it's going to take an area where a person moves out from being a babe they're brought away from the breast, the weaned from that, and, and moved into another place. The next verse, he says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Or another way to say that is letter and word. That's what he's talking about, the letter and the word. Not the letter of the law, but the letter of the word itself. You know, little things and then the word. There is a process by which God brings a person to maturity. And I believe there are two things uh, that will bring about maturity. One of them is a hearing ear, uh, hearing the teaching. Now, in the Bible, hearing means to hear and do. You can see that in Deuteronomy, um, and it's in, in a few other places. You see those two words together. So hearing, the type of hearing that he's talking about, the type of hearing that I'm talking about here, is not just hearing something, but it's a hearing and doing. That's called hearing. So, so to bring a person to maturity, there must be a hearing of, of the word, hearing and doing. Whatever that is that God brings to you personally. Secondly, it will take time. A person does not mature overnight. You have a baby, women, and the baby doesn't mature into an adult overnight. It takes 16, 18, 20 years until that child who came forth from your womb is a man or a woman. And the same thing is, is, is done in the spirit. Same process. You were born again, you were birthed from above, and there was this time thing. Now that, that's, that's something else. Now in the physical realm, the aspect of growth will automatically take place. You know, something's born, child's born, they will automatically grow. In the spiritual realm, is the same thing. The Christian is and should automatically grow. Now, it's the same with a child. If you feed the child, you give the child what the child needs, you know, the proper food and drink and, and so on, the, 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 the growth aspect, the element, will continue on to maturity. The same thing holds true with a Christian. God will feed you the milk, and he'll give you what you need, and you take that in, you receive and do, hear and do, and the automatic thing that takes place is growth. That's the way it's to work. But if the word or the food or the milk comes forth and it is just heard and not heard in person doing it, then the growth is stunted. 
and there is not the proper development that should occur. So you have both of these things that have to take place, the hearing and time. There's always a time element involved, as far as I can see, always. And so the writer is saying here in, in Hebrews that the time has come when you should be teachers. See, the line came, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little bit, there a little bit, you know, all these things working, coming to you, coming to the Christian. Now, if all of that would have been taken and allowed to do what it was to do, then the growth would occur, and I could show you these things here related to Christ and Melchizedek, and you would be able to, to understand what I'm trying to tell you. Boy, I'll tell you what. That same thing there has been repeated time and time and time again with Christians, with congregations, with denominations, and so forth, to where they should be along a certain path, they should be further on down, and, and they're not. You know, how, how can you tell a person, you know, you need to be serious with God? You know, you, you, you come around certain Christians, for example, maybe someone you know at work, and, you know, you see where they are, and you, you see where the Lord wants to take them, but the very thing that God has ordained to take them from immaturity to maturity is the very thing that they do not want to pick up. It's very strange. We, we don't know what's best for us, and we don't know and perceive and see what it is the Lord is trying to do. And I don't mean out there, I mean in here, with us personally. And so because the person doesn't see or understand, or maybe they don't want to, they, they leave off, they don't, they don't pick certain things up, and because they don't pick certain things up, their growth is stunted. And they can't move along the line to mature the way they should. And I believe that God gives everyone, everyone, everyone the opportunity. Thank God I am not where I was 20 years ago. Now in verse 11 here of whom we have many things to say and are hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. The word are there can be translated, and, and this, this is very interesting. You are, that's, you know, that is um, a, a definite, when you say are, that means you are right now, which is true. But another way of translating this, and actually it is translated this in the, the inner linear that I use, it says this, that you have become dull. See, so, so what has transpired in the lives of these Christians to where they have become dull? That's the question that I see there. See, look at verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. So, here there can be a refusal, verse 12, to grow. It's not, it really sounds strange, but it, it's true. A Christian can refuse to grow, and they can, they can choose to stay where they are. Now, when you first come in to the kingdom, you know, you're enlightened, you're birthed from above, you're seeing something, you're starting to hear, your hearing is to some degree attuned because you're moving from, from darkness to light, from a realm where you could not hear, you could not see, to a place now where your eyes are open and now you can hear some things. So now you're, you're starting off. You're okay. But he says that they have become dull leaving off certain things, they have become dull. Not taking in certain things, they have become dull. 
So he's objecting here to the Christians there not growing in God, not growing up. That's his objection. Now the contrast here is seen in Peter. Turn to first, or I think it's first Peter. Let me see. Yeah. The writer uses the same, some of the same terms in, in this verse in Peter uh, as we're, we're seeing here in Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, and, and that, that word there, I believe, uh, means um, pure or unpolluted. Uh, the sincere, unpolluted milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So he says back in Hebrews that strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. But if you're, if you're taking in milk, you're a babe. Now it's okay for, for a babe to take milk. You know, God has ordained it that way. In the natural and in the spiritual. That, that's a process, that's something that, that, that must occur to bring about uh, the possibility of the growth that God wants in that individual, in that person. But you see a key word here in this verse. Desire the sincere or the pure milk of the word. See, there's, there's to be this desire, and I believe that when we all came to Christ, God puts that in our heart. So that if that is fed, so to speak, you know, the milk comes, that desire stays there. And that desire will grow as you do. I, I can't really tell you what happened to me when I became a Christian. My first year as a Christian was very or first year and a half, was very slow developing. I mean, probably because I didn't, know, I didn't know whether to go to church, or, you know, I was trying different churches. I had no teaching. You know, it's kind of like the Lord was just taking me, and said, I'd, I'd pray, and said, Lord, help me, because I don't want to get into a wrong place, you know, you know, some, you know, wrong doctrine, and, you know, what I'm talking about. But I had this desire in my heart. Lord, I want to know you. You know, draw me closer to you. And he put this hunger. I can remember from the first minute I came in. From that very minute, God put a hunger in my heart for his word. Or for him. And throughout my walk, that has always been there. Now, that has to be fed. You too, this, this should have occurred with you to some degree. You should have a desire for God. And, and if that is, is nurtured, that thing will, will develop, that will become at times very, very strong. See, the reason for teaching is not to get something between your ears here, some head knowledge. No. It is to do something deep, deep, deep down in the heart. So that if I go and, and study the Word, which I believe God wants me to do, you know, I am aware that I don't want the head knowledge. Uh, I like to see things in context. The Lord shows me in context for reasons. But, but that's not it, you, you see. The Spirit of God must work in your life beyond that, through it, beyond it, however you want to say it, so that it's not just something in, in our minds, but it's something now in our heart that change has occurred. There's something going on within us that is the work of God. And so that hunger in the heart, placed there by the Spirit of God, is to be nurtured, or your, your hunger can, can wane. Uh, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
they're blessed. See, God wants them to be blessed. He wants that hunger there. You know, we just need to, you know, do some things that encourage that. But the, the, the key word here in this verse is desire. Desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? Because desire will take you places. You know, just like, oh, uh, how can we say, like one of the people I, I know, uh, they, they had this strong desire for a motorcycle, a Harley. And where did that strong desire take them? Guess. <laughs> to the Harley shop. So, so a strong desire in the heart can take you somewhere. I mean, that's okay. God, God does that. He puts strong desires in our heart, you see. But the point I'm trying to make is desire will take you places, be it a desire that God puts in your heart or if it's, if it's your own desire. Desiring the sincere milk of the word will take the Christian somewhere and will cause... Their spiritual walk, their, their, their heart, there will be a, a maturity or a development eventually. So go back in Hebrews. Ephesians 4.14 says this, Then will we no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their, in their deceitful scheming. Verse 11, you have this word dull. This is the same word that we see in chapter 6, verse 12, that's translated slothful. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, verse 12 says, uh, excuse me, verse 14, let's move down. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their, their senses, that, that's, that's talking about your spiritual senses, exercised to discern both good and evil. So, so there is a exercising in spirit that comes forth uh, from the proper nourishment that will bring about discernment. So you will be able then to discern what is good, what is evil, what's on the left, what's right, you know, you'll, you'll start to see and understand uh, to some degree what's going on there in the spiritual realm for the purpose of directing your path. You know, not to give you some honor in the eyes of other people, but the discerning is to direct you so you will know what way to go. So all these things here, the milk, the meat, they're all, they're all linked together. Bringing you down here to verse 14 to discern both good and evil. Now, the word therefore in, in chapter 6, verse 1, is a good example of uh, a chapter division that probably shouldn't be there. The word therefore in verse 1 is a conjunction. And a conjunction links two words or two sentences or it links a thought, one thought to another thought. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance uh, from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, he talks about doctrine in this verse. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine. Has anybody ever looked up that word? You'd be very surprised at the word, the Greek word. Maybe I shouldn't tell you to get you to come and look at it. It's the word logos. And you, you think, well, what does he mean, leaving the logos? Okay. It's not, it talks about the doctrine. It's not talking about the logos, meaning Christ. 
It's talking about the words uh, that came forth from those that preached, those that taught them. And he goes on, he tells you, the, the logos here is referring to the doctrine of uh, repentance and faith and um, baptisms and laying on of hands, etc. So he's talking about the beginning elements of, of a person's walk, a be, the beginning stage of where they started as a Christian. And I think it's very, very odd that you have whole denominations that focus in on all doctrine. Now, now doctrine is important for the purpose of laying a foundation. But doctrine was never meant to be an end. So the doctrine, or the word, this logos, that which they, that was brought out to them, was to be a beginning point by which they can start where they were and progress on to perfection. And that word perfection is not the word that we think of in English, to be perfect. It's talking about maturity. So there was a beginning point here where they started. Okay, they came to Christ, they learned about baptisms, they learned about repentance, and they learned uh, these different things about the resurrection, the very beginning elements. Now the writer says, now leaving those, see, not that you don't believe them anymore, it's that, that that's not where you are you're not to just stay there. It's not an end of, in and of itself, but it's a platform by which you can go to another place, to another area. So that this foundation here that was laid now is good, but now it needs to be left. See, when, when the child receives uh, the, um, the milk... There's a time to leave that, as we saw in Isaiah, to be, be weaned. It's not that you don't believe anymore that the milk won't nourish. It's that it's a, it's a time to move in another direction here now. So he says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us uh, go on unto perfection. The word perfection here um, is pointing toward being complete in character, meaning the character of Christ. See, so, so there is to be this leaving. And, and the, the ING verb, leaving, is, is a participle. And that means it's a continual thing. So, so in our heart, you know, we continue. We have to leave that and continue on. And there's a continuing, and there's a continuing, and there's a continuing along the path to maturity, those who are of full age. Now, because of the leaving of the, the first principles and moving toward maturity, because that's going on, now the person's Diet's different now, you see. No longer is there milk. Now they're, they're uh, having, having meat. So the instruction here, the doctrine, is another, another um, good word to translate it in verse 1. Now leaving the doctrine or the, the instruction, see, because the instruction... Was, a, was to point you to Christ himself, or it was to point you toward maturity. I hope you're getting this. Verse 2, uh, um, <clears throat> not laying in the foundation of repentance, uh, of um, verse 2, <clears throat> of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, 
and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. In other words, he's saying that if God gives us the time, more time in, in this life in the, on earth here, if he gives us more time, this will we do. We will go on to maturity. That's to be the process. Now, this is a verse here that really throws people for a loop. And if you read it, what I'm going to do is we'll read it, and then I'll go back and put it a different way so you understand what he's saying. And I have uh, two translations of this verse. I've heard a few different things related to this uh, verse. For it is impossible for those who, have, who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the power, powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified the, um, to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. People interpret this that it means that if a person falls away, that it is impossible for them to repent. And I've heard some people say that. But we know that that's not true, don't we? There are people who have fallen away, some for a short period of time, some for a longer period of time, and have come back to Christ and have gotten back in the right way, and God uses them, and you know the Spirit of God's you know, in them, and, and fl flowing through them, and, and so on. So, so what is he saying here? Well, let's look at it again, because this is important. A casual reading of this verse, you'll say, well, how could it be impossible to repent if a person wants to repent? Well, the point is that in the state... That's, that whoever he's referring to, in that state, if the person is moving in a certain direction, it's impossible while they're moving in that direction to repent. It's not impossible to repent, but it's impossible if they continue to move in the way that they're moving to repent. Because he says here, seeing, verse 6, that they are crucifying to themselves the Son of God afresh because of the way they are living and the, the, the way that they are moving in sin. The others are going to view them and say, well, is that all Christianity is? And, and they're going to put the name of Christ into an open shame, so to speak, in that, you know, place where that Christian is. Have you ever heard somebody say, he calls himself a Christian, look at how he lives. He's an adulterer, or he's, he does this, he does that, and they'll come right out and say it. And they are crucifying to themselves Christ again. Now let me read this from another translation. The word here, impossible, in verse 4, means without strength, it means powerless, but, but it, uh, impossible is, is a good translation of the Greek word. They are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. How? By the way they're living. If they continue in that way, and that's their heart's uh, attitude... It's impossible for them to repent. See, they have to change. They have to want to repent to change that direction. Then repentance is possible. But while they're in that, and they're going full steam ahead, and they're convinced that, you know, this is where I am, this is where I'm staying, and nothing's going to change me, it's impossible for them to repent or to change their direction. Are you understanding this? doesn't mean that they can't repent. It's impossible in their, in their state where they are, how they're moving to repent. 
Another version says, because they are again crucifying the Son of God and exposing Him to public shame. The people are ridiculing the Christian, but it's because of where they're living, people see it. People know when a person's backslidden. They look at them and they say, just what this verse says, they're, they're, they're saying, oh, okay, we look at him, he calls himself a Christian, and so on and so forth, and look at how he's living. And it says here, they are exposing him, Christ, the Son of God, to public shame. Now, that's pretty strong. Pretty strong. That can be avoided if a person matures correctly. If they maintain this desire and hunger that I was talking about earlier, that never occurs. They don't put Christ to an open shame. Quite the contrary. Their testimony everywhere they go, whether they say a thing or they don't. Just, just them being around causes the opposite of what the he, writer to the Hebrews here is saying. Verse 9. Let's back up here. Wait a minute. Uh, verse 7. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh often upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, received blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. And, and I believe that this is referring back to the teaching of Jesus uh, dealing with the parable of the sower. So, so you have the heart, in some instances, being hard like the soil. And you have the thorns that are growing up. And there, there's no growth as far as, as something sustainable to someone. Whereas those that uh, receive the word on good ground are those which bring forth, they, they hear the word, and they receive it, I believe it says. And they bring forth some 30, 60, and 100 fold. So there's a, a production. See, they're, they're, they've come to, to, to maturity to some degree. And there's, there's something being produced from their life. This is still related to chapter 5 and 6, all dealing here with this growth thing. And I like this. What, what the writer says here is, is very, very good. Verse 9, but beloved, and even though he, I, I, don't know, I didn't put this in another translation in my notes. Verse 9, but beloved, we are persuaded of better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we speak thus. So he's saying, even though I'm saying all these things to you, and there may or may not have, had, have been people there that were in this state, <coughs> He's saying, overall, I'm persuaded of better things of you. In other words, I think that you're going to move in the right direction here. Let me read this from the Amplified. Even though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we are now firmly convinced of better things that are near to salvation and accompany it. Uh, no, I didn't put that in here. Listen to this. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. So the writer here brings all these things down, dealing with, with growth and stunted growth and all this, and then he comes back and he says, you know what? I'm going to encourage you because I believe that you're going to just continue to move out and move on to maturity the way you should. So as I started this, this Sunday school lesson saying about the difficulties and the problems that we see in the world, and, and, and I'm not a prophet of gloom. <laughs> I'm not a prophet of anything, but I'm not a teacher of gloom. But we need to be aware that there are things going on in the world. And those things may come and touch our lives, and they probably will eventually, to some degree. So what is needful for us as Christians today, in this age, 
is to receive the grace of God today and allow Him to help maintain a desire and a hunger in our heart for Him so that we can move from being babes, move along the line toward maturity, having the character of Christ to some degree developed within us so that when these problems and difficulties that we see all over the place in every area of, of, of man's existence today, so when they come upon us, that we can draw upon something more than the world draws upon and something more than the, the immature Christian has. See, that's how important this is. So that there will be Christians that will be taken away when the flood comes. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't want to be one of them. I pray that I will be firm and solid. And I pray that you here today will be firm and solid. So that when the, the storms of life come, and they beat vehemently on your house, on you, your circumstances, your problems, your difficulties, that your house, you, will not be moved. You will stand because you're rooted and grounded in faith, in the faith of Jesus Christ. And, and that's our hope. That's our hope. And it, it would behoove us if we would uh, remember to allow the Lord space in our life, to, to ready us, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I do know one thing. God is able to keep us. He's able. And we don't need to worry, because he's, he's quite able to help us and keep us from that evil day. Rivers of living.